buy you a Chevrolet. I buy you a Chevrolet. I buy you a Chevrolet. If you just give me some of your love, she said, I don't want your Chevrolet. I don't want your Chevrolet. I don't want nothing in the world you got. No, you can't do nothing for me. You can't do nothing for me. I buy you a diamond ring. brother i'm doing fine how you doing bill i am doing great here i, I almost i almost missed the uh i i've i've got a novel coming out in april i'm working yeah. on the follow-up and uh i i got so into this uh, uh this couple of paragraphs of the passage that i wrote earlier uh that i looked up and it was it was one o'clock ah i've got some place to be at one o'clock that's right. It's, but actually, I'm on the East Coast. It's two o'clock. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's right. I sometimes get a little muddled up. We fly here. You know, we just did uh, a record release party at the Iridium in New York City. Uh-huh. And we, we did a record release party four days later in San Juan Capistrano in Southern California at the Coach House. There you go. And what was interesting, though, we were very, very brave. We played eight, was it nine new songs from our album? Uh-huh. I mean... You get, you get it. You go up on stage, and people are expecting something. But we we spent five days rehearsing the album down in uh, Florida, our studio. It's not a lot of time, is it? No, but the thing is, you have to relearn like eight or nine songs you played over the last two or three years ago. Uh -huh, you know? uh -huh. But it was exciting. It was like it was a challenge, and uh, the audiences were great. The both shows sold out so that was good we were a bit nervous about that you know because Foghat's really old <laughs> <laughs> 54 years brother uh you ought to get a gold watch for that at least right yeah actually I'm, i just got the phone with my older brother in in england colin we were talking about stuff because he co-wrote or actually wrote one of the songs for us mm -hmm. uh, about hank williams yeah yeah I, we're going to talk about that uh okay. in a little bit so let, let me start here. Um, going, we're going into the holidays, and and I was deeply torn between opening with Chevrolet, 
off of uh, yeah, I... Blue, uh, which is a great, great song, or your brilliant reading of Jack Frost. Frosty the Snowman was a jolly happy soul with a corncob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal. I wonder where that button went. Frosty is a fairy tale, they say. He was made of snow, but the children know that he came to life one day. There must have been some magic in that old silk hat they found, for when they placed it on his head, he began to dance around. Well, who wouldn't want to dance with a silk hat on your head? Frosty the snowman was alive as he could be. And the children say he could laugh and play, just the same as you and me. Thumpity thump thump, thumpity thump thump. Look at Frosty go. Thumpity thump thump, thumpity thump thump. Over the hills of snow. I like the thumpity thump thump bit. Frosty the snowman knew the sun was hot that day. So he said, let's run and we'll have some fun. Now, before I melt away, down to the village with a broomstick in his hand, running here and there, all around the square, saying, Catch me if you can. He led them down to the streets of town, right to the traffic cop. And he only paused a moment when he heard him holler, Stop! For Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way. But he waved goodbye, saying, don't you cry. I'll be back again someday. I'll be back again someday. Probably around <laughs> the same time next Jack, year. Jack Frost. Uh, is it, isn't it a bit early for Jack Frost? Uh, it is. It is here, and it's a little bit warm here in Chicago. So. No, I, don't, I don't know. You've got, you've got your Christmas lights or some kind of lights up there and candles, don't you? We this is this is our studio. This is my studio. So this is where I where I paint and write and and the wife writes. And you become who you really want to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I was just talking to my brother and and going on about well, we were talking about how fortunate we have that both of us got a chance to like follow our dreams in music, and and had you know a fair degree of success, and it was something that was like. You know, but there again, it's not luck. I think I think it's more good fortune because you have to stick yourself out there and like give yeah. it a shot. Uh, whereas luck is something that just floats around in the air, and sometimes it sticks to you. It's like fairy dust. <laughs> but... <laughs> I've, I've 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 never had any of that fairy dust stick to me. I've always been always been hard at work and and making it happen. Like like yeah you. yeah. I I I say things like um, okay, our first record that. Dave Edmonds produced. Yeah. It was up to that point, you know, when we were in the studio, like producing it ourselves, it was like, you know, the songs were the same, but the, the, the production wasn't there. The sounds weren't there. There wasn't somebody to say, don't do this, do that. Mm -hmm. But when Dave Edmonds got on board making that first album, I, I tell people now that I know that record would have been nowhere near as successful or as good as it was without Dave Edmonds' input. I know that. I don't want you to cook my bread. I don't want 
I know this is because he had the night shift at uh, Rockfield Studios and we had the day shift. Then sometimes it would cross over and uh, we'd listen to his stuff. He was mixing uh, hmm? a bunch of songs and we go, wow, this is like, this is really fucking great stuff. <laughs> and then, then we would listen to our stuff and it would sound like, I don't know, it sounds like, you know, kids playing with toys or something You're having a good time but it just wasn't working so our manager at the time asked dave if he would produce our record and he said mm. well, yeah, as soon as i've finished mixing my record yeah mm-hmm. and, uh, i'm forever grateful to dave edmonds what a genius that man is yeah he's 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 brilliant uh not only as as a as a producer but but as a songwriter and, and musician right. as well yeah. um yeah, right. but he i, I i'm I'm guessing he saw something in you guys. So, so you guys came out of Savoy Brown and with kind of a a unique sound at the time. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a departure from from him and, and Savoy Brown. I, I'm sure he saw something in what you guys were doing and, and bought into that dream, right? We, no, no we, uh, we got on real well. I mean, I, I loved all his stuff and like... Yeah. Rock and Roller, he's a blueser. Yep. As were myself, Lonesome Dave and Rob Price. So it was, um, yeah, that, was, that wasn't that was hard at all. Um, and what I loved, in fact, we all loved working with Dave and vice versa. We got on really, but we had a good time. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. There was never any, it was like uh, we'd play something and Dave would say, that's, that's really good, keep that one. And then we go, all right. And... Uh, no, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we pretty much run out of money. All the money that we were given was like to you know pay for day, pay for the studios and stuff. Yeah. But um, uh, what were we living on? Cornflake sandwiches, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also the the uh, the studio was actually part of a working dairy farm, so we had fresh milk every day. Very good. It goes great with cornflakes. Uh, yeah, and bread sandwiches, <laughs> cornflake sandwiches.
Conversation uh, when b- between you and the band when when you decided that you were going to split from Savoy Brown. How did that conversation begin? Harry Simmons. We had a meeting with Harry Simmons, the manager, and Kim. Yeah. Uh, they fired Tony Stevens. They said that Dave and I could stay around if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Dave and I went back to my room. Uh, we were in uh, we were in San Francisco at the time, and Dave wrote Fool's Hall of Fame, and I had my practice pad, and we played that. Dave and myself met with Harry Simmons, the manager, and said, look, um, we'll stay around for as long as Kim wants us to, uh, you know, until he puts a new band together. Mm-hmm. But um, we just feel it's, kind of, it's time for a change. And um, Kim was Kim was all right with, with you guys leaving the band to form your own band, but but Harry wasn't. Harry wasn't, exactly. No, Kim was yeah. fine. And, and we were fine to stay with Kim until... He was. He had a new band. In fact, when we go back to England, uh, myself and Dave and Tony were working on some songs with Kim in the studio. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, sometimes you just have to sort of say it's time for a change. Mm-hmm. And then I reconnected with Kim in '76. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a show out here in uh, out on Long Island at uh, Stony Brook University. Yeah, we spent some time together. Then. About 10 years ago, and we, we bump into each other, you know, across the country from time to time. Mm-hmm. About 10 years ago, our manager, Linda, got Savoy Brown on the same agency as us, okay. Paradise Artists. And uh, so that meant we got chance chances to play together. Uh, in fact, we did a couple at uh, the Akada mm-hmm. with uh, with Kim. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, it was, it was great. We just reconnected. I'd get up and play with them, two drummers, and Kim would get up and play with... Volcat, uh it was good. And then oh, I invited Kim to play on our last, our previous album, Under the Influence. Uh-huh. And he played on about four songs, uh, as did Scott Holt, you know, a new lead singer and guitar player. Uh-huh. Uh, after we finished, we finished, um, Tom Hambridge produced the last record, Under the Influence. And Kim said to me, we were hanging out after we finished all the sessions, and he said, you know, I'd really like to write some songs to Volcat. I said, that will be great, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> tower on him. And he said, okay, Roger, with a wry smile. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Kim passed away last Christmas. Yeah. That he'd sent me uh, four songs and they were, they were really good, but you know, they obviously needed, it was just him singing, playing guitar mm-hmm. and like, like to a click track or something. We did three of them on the new album on Sonic Mojo. So, I was really happy with with the way they turned out, and you know, it just 
it felt really good to have Kim's songs there. I mean, Brian Bassett was a huge fan of, of Kim Simmons playing, as was Scott Holt. Scott Holt even like had, had met with Kim a number of times, and they'd even talked about playing together. Slowly I move with a dying day in the caress of shadows gray Turning off my thoughts and closing up my mind Leaving the chaos and the noise behind and Time slips away Time slips away magic in the air with the songs that Kim wrote so uh, yeah it felt really good this in fact this whole record feels really good the way it sounds and the way it feels um, I'm really I'm, I think I've always been happy with the stuff we do but this uh -huh. record I think it's a little bit special there's some great stuff on on, on the record and we're going to talk about it in a bit I, I, I wanted to so Savoy Brown was always really kind of there you go Sonic Mojo man um, it's always has always been Kim's vehicle, and I, I sort of feel that that the the split between between you and what would become Foghat, uh, Tony and Dave, uh, and you was was kind of kind of natural. It was kind of symbi symbiotic, right? Yeah, like I said, um, Kim and I. I don't think Kim and I ever had a crossword That's never great. i mean yeah. we we always got on really well um i know that uh, dave and kim though dave didn't talk a lot but they both had this passion for you know blues music and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all things blues dave was a walking talking encyclopedia about <laughs> blues and music actually i've said this a couple of times recently but lonesome dave was a closet drummer because he knew every drummer that played on every record. Yeah. I mean, he would inform me, he'd say, you know, quick, quick story. We had a day, a couple of days off in Chicago. And this is in the mid seventies. Uh, David, I, I think I, I think I saw you then. Yeah. We, we go out, we go out to the clubs and stuff. We went to this one club, um, mother blues. Oh yeah. We walk in there. We play our three bucks. I think it was three bucks. I go to the bar, I get Dave a glass of wine, I had a cognac, and I come back. Dave's standing there looking at the stage, just staring at it like, and I said, what's up? He said, Dave says, do you know who that is playing drums up there? I said, no, who is that, Dave? He said, that's Freddie Bilo. Now, of course, I know who Freddie Bilo was. I mean, session man at Chess Records played on all that classic stuff that I learned to play to. Mm. And I said, wow. So Dave and I make our way over there and the band's taking a break and we sort of go up and talk to him. It could, Freddie did all this really, basically he was a jazz drummer, but he played all this really cool stuff with his right hand. He would play on the floor, Tom Tom, on the side of the drum. So he would play with the bass drum. 
right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, and he looks at us and, and you know, we're in awe because we're standing next to one of our heroes. And Freddie says, you guys want to play? Yeah. So he goes off to the bar and Dave and I play for the next hour. <laughs> wow. Well, well, I mean, in, in a four-man band, it's essential that that each member is really tuned in to their to their counterparts right yeah yeah especially for a band like like fog hat uh yeah you know right from the very beginning when i first started joining the band when i was 16 the bass player was the best friend of my best friend like in school dave hutchins he'd been playing since he was like 10 years old i didn't start until i was 12 or 13 and Ray Dorset was had been playing since he was nine or ten years old, and he was a singer in the first band I was in. So I, I always played with great players. When I joined Savoy Brown, that was like uh, there was some real magic in the air then. Mm-hmm. Chris York, fantastic writer, and Kim was just starting to come into his own as a guitar player. Yeah. He was listening to anybody and everybody, and he was just soaking it up. Yeah. And I get into this band, and I'm going, okay. And fuck it up. Kim and I never had a crossword. The only time it was a little different because we it was one, everything was one take then. We'd all we'd rehearse the various um, rehearsal rooms around London. Then when we were ready, we would go in. Uh, Mike Vernon was the producer. Mm-hmm. Tom uh, Roy Thomas Baker or Roy Baker he was then was the engineer. So the sounds were, were great in the room. I, I mean, I didn't do anything to my drums. They just put microphones on it, and I just had to play. I knew how to tune a drum. (laughs) (laughs) And there was one song we were doing, uh, You Need Love, a Willie Dixon song, of course. be no rock and roll if it wasn't for Willie Dixon. I agree. Uh, We were doing this song which was like kind of a rave up kind of thing, drum solos and bass solos in it. Come to my part to play the the drum solo and I drop a drumstick. Clunk. (laughs) I knew it was only one tape. So Kim comes over to me and he says, "Uh, you know, Rog, uh, you know, if we don't get it right next time, the song's not going on the album. 
nothing like some pressure. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, what was that, 19, maybe 20, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't drop the drumstick next time, but um, <laughs> my, drum, my drumming solos have improved. Passion has always been for, you know, blues and early rock and roll. That's what I listen to, you know, like, uh, old Palmer, uh, you know, uh, all that early sort of stuff from New Orleans, um, Little yeah. Richard. It was, um, you know, that's what I listened to. Francis Clay, um, who I thought was Muddy's greatest drummer. You know, when you listen to, I don't know, you've probably heard it, like, Muddy Waters at Newport. Yeah, that's. I think that is like the most incredible. When I heard that record, I said, "This is it." And I sat down and listened to it and tried to play to it. I'd had had a couple of like six-inch speakers either side of my head that was connected to a Grundy tape player when I was what fifteen, I think, mm -hmm. and uh, or sixteen. Anyway, and I'd listened to it and I couldn't play like that. I couldn't play like that. Mm -hmm. But the attitude I loved and everything. There was always a swing in everything that was played. The same with Freddie Bilo yeah. and, and, and Earl Palmer. They, even if it was like, you know, a, a, a four-four feel, yeah. there was always a shuffle going through it. It never, it was never, like, it was never that, 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 that. It was a like that, 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 that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was built into the from from the origins of, of New Orleans blues, especially. Right. And uh, I knew that was something that you had to sort of master or at least own to some degree yourself and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and i always and i listened to other drummers but i always it was music for me it was always about the music it was songs mm -hmm. the way the band played that i wanted to play like that in a band I, you know like drummers you sit in a room and you're banging around and like doing your practicing your rudiments but where you learn how to play is with a band yeah. great bass player, a great singer, great guitar player. And I played with all those. You played with all instruments growing up. So uh, yeah. I was fortunate there. I always played with great musicians. So I have to, I have to say one of my all-time, all-time favorite songs is uh, Stone Blue.
quite that slide by Rod Price, where he plays over over the second pickup, is just astounding. totally unique. I mean, obviously, he was uh, a huge, uh, Dw- uh, you know, Dwayne Orman uh, fan. Who wasn't? I-, I remember when we were putting the band together, we had uh, the Fillmore East record on every morning. Them and the Beatles, actually. I was also a big Stones fan as well. Uh-huh. But it was, uh, as the Stones were like, you know, American music fans, it was all about the blues and rock and roll for them. Mm-hmm. Too. Um, so... Uh, yeah, Rob was in, was brilliant. When we were doing Stone Blue, I knew there was some magic in the song. And I remember after we we actually got the track down, we rehearsed it quite a bit trying to fi- find out where it was. And I remember our manager at the time saying to me, it, it, it's too fast. And I said, it's a rock and roll song. <laughs> <laughs> and Craig McGregor was absolutely brilliant to play with. He and I were like... Uh, we were brothers by different mothers, and uh, I loved him like a brother. And like, as brothers will sometimes be, we did, we knocked heads once or twice mm-hmm. about how things should go. But before we ever went to shows, Craig and I would always go to a room. We would listen to some music, usually Little Feet, or uh, I seem to remember Craig really liked the brothers Johnson, a great bass player. But yeah. we would always like listen to music before we left our hotel rooms and took the limo to the next gig. It was like a thing, you know, because bass players and drummers, you got to like, lock it up. Yeah. You, know, you got, yeah. uh, what did Craig say to me one time? You're the back, you're the backbone of the music. Well, yeah. Uh, Craig put it one way, but rather succinctly, I thought he said, Rog, you and I laid down the road for them to travel on. Yes. I, yeah. That's uh, brilliant. And, uh, it's quite poignant, really, for a bass player. Oh, that was a terrible thing to say, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should let, 20 minutes in here, we should let people know Foghead will be performing in, in St. Charles at the Arcata Theatre uh, for an 8 p.m. show on Saturday, December 2nd. Foghead released its 17th solo album, Sonic Mojo, a very strong album, which we'll talk about uh, in more detail with uh, with Roger Earl in just a, a little bit. The website is Foghead Official at foghead.com, as well as on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and apparently on wine bottles everywhere. You're becoming more than a classic icon, brother. Uh, you're an empire with your own wine label, right? It's hardly an empire. I drink, I drink quite a lot. No, I actually, I don't drink. 
as much as I ought to. I don't think you can drink enough of good wine. No, uh, no, that was something that happened uh, back in 2005, 2006. Yeah. On the west coast of California, we did two days at the Mid-California State Fair. Mm -hmm. Both shows sold out. Mm -hmm. And uh, a winemaker came to see us and he emailed our manager, Linda, and said in the email, uh, Falkat lends itself to a great name for wine. Would you be interested in making wine? I started giggling, mm -hmm. and, uh, licking my lips. And then Linda said, that's just another job for your manager to take care of. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have our own wine. We have a 2013 Pinot Noir from the Central Coast of California. And we have a 2014 Chardonnay mm -hmm. from the Central Coast of California. The folks uh, you can get at foghat.com. Yes. And Foghat. a signed copy, even. Uh, yeah. The sign label. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, well, I'll sign it. I think there's some left. Yeah, it says, uh, so So actually, the the prices are, are pretty excellent. Uh, but it's, it's I think, $15 or $16 for uh, for a bottle um, and $30 for a signed label. I, I have no knowledge of that. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> I just play the drums in this band and make, make sure that everything's uh, working right. <laughs> part, part of my research, the wife and I love wine. And okay. uh, so I, I saw that and had to find out more. Actually, both of, both the wines are delicious. Um, yeah. A 2014 Chardonnay may appear to be a little long in the tooth, but it's actually a beautiful, rich Chardonnay. Yeah. The uh, 2013 Pinot Noir, in fact, I just drank half a bottle for lunch. <laughs> well you know the holidays are coming up we're going to celebrate um i won't go into that but we're going to celebrate thanksgiving yeah yeah I, nice nice and i am thoroughly grateful for uh how things have turned out and i love my adopted home this is the land of music this is where it all came from yeah. jazz bebop uh rock and roll country, country. yeah, yeah religious music, gospel music, of yeah. course, gospel music. I mean, how many fantastic singers and how much fantastic music has come out from people that grew up in a church? Yeah, this is the land of music. And then you, America has given music to the world. Mm -hmm. Joining of all those wonderful ideas, this wonderful melting pot of ideas and music. No other country in the world is like this. I think they all take, I th think they take, uh, the leadership from here, you know, of course you've got people all over the, all over the world, like singing stuff, but this country gave music to the world and inspires even to this day, you know, yes, yeah. coming up, inspires people all over the world to make music. And okay, that's, so I've got two quick stories to support you on that one. Uh, there's, there's a blues man here in Chicago, Johnny Bergen, uh, who's a, who's a dear, dear friend, put out a number of albums, but he recently did an album with Japanese blues musicians. And he, he, does, he does a podcast where he talks what to blues say? musicians. Yeah. 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 Uh, he talks to blues musicians all over the, all over the world. My, I, I met my wife in Sarajevo during the siege. And her grandmother was a film producer for Yadron Films. She loved American gospel. Hallelujah. 
No, I mean, it's it's joyful music. Yes. You know, the blues yeah. can also be joyful, happy, even though it's about often a sadder subject. But, I mean, American gospel music, it, it's... If you're going to have a God, that's the way There's you There's a sing. reason they call it soul. Yeah. Because yeah. it comes directly from the soul. Yeah. I had the pleasure of catching you at, at Alpine Valley in the in the late 70s or, or early 80s. A little muddled right now, uh, the exact time. Uh, me and three other guys were stuffed into my 69 Le Mans, uh, which, uh, which, was, which was destroyed in an accident. Not, not, yeah. And this trip... Uh, Ended up uh, in in my first novel, but we were swilling we were swilling pints of Jack Daniels two hours from from the oh, oh, yeah, Alpine yeah. Valley and two hours back and through the whole um, uh, a trip we should not have survived by the way. So I'm I'm a little bit familiar with with your music, <laughs> but you guys put on a brilliant show. You're a live band. You've always been a live band. I think I think that's one of the one of the magical um, ingredients in Foghat albums, studio albums, is they have that live feel. And I, I know Dave Edmonds contributed to that on the first album, but you guys carried that through every single album, which is a testimony to to the band. record that we've made um not every song was made like with the four four musicians in the room you know two guitars bass drums and singing but a number of them were or often what we would do is like we would make sure there was enough separation this band has always been uh what's the word organic we always yeah. played together we always played in the room we it was like and before we ever go out and play on the road we always always rehearsed mm -hmm. you know it was never like well let's do that it was never any like sloppiness and also there's a wonderful line that Dave used to come up with and it sort of personified what we were about he said he would shout to the audience after a song or two he said do we have permission to jam <laughs> you know we the song would start off in the studio and, and come out on a record that's that blue sensibility man then it would be seven or seven and a half Making music is a real joyous thing. Um, yeah. That and that has carried over today with our current band. Um, yeah, these guys are just phenomenal. Brian Bassett's been with us what twenty-seven years. Uh -huh. He played with Lonesome Dave and Rob Price. Mm -hmm. um, they did a couple of tours together. Right. Scott Holt has been around yeah. since 
with us in some one way or another. I met Scott in 2014 and he's worked on like numerous songs that we put out and uh, played stuff with us. It was a, a stand in for Charlie Hune a couple of times when mm -hmm. Charlie shows. Um, and Rodney O'Quinn that was actually handpicked by Craig McGregor. When Craig became ill, he had lung cancer. We had four different bass players. Um, I said to Craig, look, you tell me when you can't play bass anymore and then we'll settle on a bass player. But until then, as far as I'm concerned, you're the bass player in this band. Sometimes he would call me up, um, you know, we had to have a show out in uh, California. We were playing with Deep Purple. And he said, hey, Rog, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'd like to do the show out in California. I said, the one with Deep Purple? He said, yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were playing with uh, ZZ Top. He'd say, yeah, you know that show you're doing out in the Midwest with ZZ? Yeah? Oh, I, I think I can do that one. Yeah, I love I love Craig McGregor. He was my brother by a different mother. Um, there you. So so let me let me ask you this. There's been a single thread through all those years and all those albums of Foghat through the ups and downs, and that was the drummer, you, Roger Earl. <laughs> and, and and through through multiple the multiple generations of, of the band, uh guitar players and, and bass players. So you you've become not only the shepherd of of the brand but of of the sound, right? Well, somebody's got to do it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, even in early days, you know, right. after we left Savoy Brown, I mean, I wasn't other than being the drummer in Savoy Brown. It was really cool for me because I was only nineteen, I think, when I joined the band. But I I was allowed to do, you know, Chris Yildon would play a song at the piano or on the guitar or Kim would play something. And I just played the drums to what they were playing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I don't ever recall them ever saying anything other than, it was good, Rog. You know, <laughs> uh, it was like, I, I, I got on, I mean, I, I had this thing, you know, being a drummer, you, it's okay sitting on, you know, practicing and stuff, but it gets boring. Mm. Playing with a band, making music, creating music, jamming. That's what it's all about. And uh, I've been fortunate that I've always played with great people. And, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, where, what was the question again? What was the question? Well, so the, the question was, um, you, you've, you've had to shepherd, shepherd the band uh, 
for for sound and, and direction. The, and and again, we said you know the band which cur currently features um, uh, you and and Brian Bassett, Rodney O'Quinn, uh, and Scott Holt uh, is every bit as powerful and talented, um, not only in playing but in their songwriting abilities as well. Um, but that that could lead the band in a number of directions but you guys have always stayed true to your blues roots and and even with even with the the addition of of a of a country sort of sound uh on the new record that that's that essence is still there i have to put my hand up for this one yes sir i'm a johnny cash fan Good I man. Up, good man. I uh, I grew up listening to Johnny Cash. Yeah. My older brother Colin uh, bought all the the early Sun records. I was the only twelve year old kid in Southwest London singing Johnny Cash songs on his way riding his bike. <laughs> oh, she loves you, big river. <laughs> well, I grew great. up on Folsom City Blues, brother. I still think about Katy too. How's the water, Papa? Bobby died rising. I mean, you know. Hey, Porter, hey, Porter, would you tell me the time? How much longer will it be till we cross that Mason-Dixon line? At daylight, would you tell that engineer to slow it down? Or better still, just stop the train, cause I want to look around. Hey, Porter, hey, Porter, what time did you say? How much longer will it be till I can see the light of day? When we hit Dixie, will you tell that engineer to ring his bell? And ask everybody that ain't asleep to stand right up and yell. Even though he didn't have a drummer, there was always this fantastic rhythm yeah. for his songs. But for me, it was there were stories. Johnny Cash told stories. Yeah. Um, and that I think that's what got me as a kid. Mm -hmm. I could I heard stories and I heard rhythm. The the great thing about Sun Records for me was early Elvis Presley. Blue moon, blue moon, blue moon. Keep shining bright. Blue moon, keep on shining bright. She gonna bring me back. Come on, baby, tonight. Blue moon, keep shining bright. I say blue moon, I can talk it. Keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue. I say blue moon, I can talk it. Keep on shining. Shine on the one that's gone and left me blue. Well, the heat was on one moonlight night, stars shining bright, whisper on That was probably the greatest band that was that ever came down the pipe. Mm -hmm. Earlier, it was Presley, the stuff that Elvis is singing and the band that he had, uh, J.D. Fontana, uh, it, uh, the bass and the guitar, and it was just incredible. Those are all. Those are all guitar players. How did Roger Earl pick up the drums? I know. You, I know your parents played piano, and I think you learned on piano, um, which is essentially a, a percussion instrument. Um, but but what led you to the to the drums? They're louder than the piano. Yes, sir. 
Yes, they are. <laughs> I don't know. I was, uh, I was always banging on plates with knives and forks and spoons okay. and ruining mum's good china. Uh, lampshades on a lamp, that would be a symbol. Uh, um, I'm sure she appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> my parents were um, very, in the words, understanding. There was always music in our house anyway. Dad, uh, there was always music. We had always had the radio on, uh, the record player, or uh, we had a tape player as well. We used to tape stuff off the radio. Um, that's how I learned to play, from a, had a Grundig tape player and mm -hmm. had like six-inch speakers either side of my head, and I just played the music. Um, it was... Um, my parents were really cool. They loved music. They grew up on the east end of grew up in the east end of London. That's where they came from. Mm -hmm. We settled in southwest London in Hounslow, and uh, uh, my dad took me to see Jerry Lee Lewis when I was twelve years old. Jerry Lee would come over, it was nineteen sixty somewhere around there, and uh, that was it. Well, I walked over here and I walked over Spain. I rockin' babies, it was all the same Till I rockin' to Africa and roll off the ship I seen them natives doin' a hard-lookin' skip I parted the weed and looked over the swamp I seen them a cats are doin' a you-bangin' storm A you-bangin' storm, a rock and roll Beats anything but the hell of a toe A you-bangin' storm, you-bangin' stop When the hell is gonna drive a cool cat a while I mean, I'd already listened to Jerry Lee's first album and Little Richard and mm -hmm. Johnny Cash. And, uh, but seeing uh, Jerry Lee Lewis live, though I couldn't hear him, you know, they just had probably had a couple of box columns either side of the stage. There was, uh, Jerry Lee had some of that real magic in the way he played, the way he, the way he just, his personality, he was so, uh, it was brilliant, uh, and I was hooked. My mother said it addled my brain, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it certainly paid the bills. Not for a long time, no. I, yeah, I gave I gave up my job as a commercial artist. I was earning yeah. really good money, you know, when I joined Savoy Brown. So uh, no, you know, thing is, I think with musicians, if you really want to play, and, and I was good as a commercial artist, um, mm -hmm. you know. And really decent money and good people that I work with as well. Do you but still do? I, do you still do visual art? No, I don't do any of that. No. I, um, occasionally, I'll draw something for the grandchildren or something, okay. you know, a picture and make them laugh. Mm -hmm. But um, actually, no, I did the um, artwork for the Family Jewels album. I had to do overlays and all sorts of stuff the okay. old way. Okay. Um, we have a manager who does all the artwork now. I, I have to say. I really miss liner notes. <laughs> you got it on this one. There's That's... stories in there. Not about just the band, but about people who work with us, where we've been, where we want to go. It's, um, and pictures. You know, I remember like, when I would look at albums that had pictures, a little a notes, it would be, I would yeah. read them over and over again. Go, yeah. Really? yeah. I, I heard about Chicago. I went there eventually. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to Chicago, New Orleans. I wanted to go to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. That's the land of dreams. There's magic down there. And uh, I got there. And uh, kid growing up in London, I mean, <laughs> I made my dreams come true. 
And but yes, you have sir. to be bright. Sometimes you have to be brave. Sometimes you got. So let me let me take you let me take you down a, a little path here because this this stood out to me, and I always wondered about it. The last album that you guys recorded in uh, in the eighties was Zigzag Walk, uh, nineteen eighty two, I think, which which was almost a rockabilly album. A different sound than than your traditional uh, or or your iconic um, straight ahead blues infused rock, right? Um, yeah. Did you think that that was it for the band? Uh, I think Rod left in in 1980, shortly before the the album came out, right? Uh, Rod left after we did the uh, Boogie Motel album. Okay. That was the last record he played on. Yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. know what? Uh, Dave was the lead singer in the band and the main writer, and huh? I had no problem playing rockabilly tunes. If you hear somebody knocking on your door, Back in 1969 or 1970, Uh we um, we were doing, uh, we were working for, we were doing an album, forget which album we were doing for Savoy Brown, with Mike Vernon and Roy Baker was the engineer. Yeah. And um, Kim and Chris Jordan and our uh, producer went out to have lunch and myself and Dave and Tony Stevens stay behind. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We play. We're playing, you know, uh, rockabilly tunes and uh, just just played for about an uh, hour and a half, nearly two hours. And then Mike Vernon came back mm-hmm. and Roy Baker, the engineer, uh, recorded it. And uh, the producer said, wow, this is really good. And uh, the, uh, my brother Colin played piano on it. And the following day, they all went out to lunch again, and Roy Baker recorded our uh, lunchtime sessions, and it came out in England as Warren Phillips and the Rockets. That, but that's that was just a a small part of our music. That's part of uh, you know Americana, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, um, maybe uh, Dave lost his writing partner. Maybe we were going through wanted to do her rockabilly thing i don't know it was just you just play you know you play music that you're having fun with and um it wasn't a big seller i think it sold about 150 or 200,000 actually by today's standards that's quite a lot isn't it <laughs> but it, so so maybe maybe instead of looking at it as a deviation from your sound more of an exploration of of the genre right well uh, Folk Hat was all those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, we were, uh, certainly myself and Dave were like fans of everything, every all American music, uh, Americana, for want for a better word. 
yeah, know, rock yeah. and roll. Jazz, even, not that we were particularly well, well versed in that. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, the number of songs we played, like with uh, Kim and early Savoy Brown, there was a lot of jazz Im influence on that. In mm -hmm. fact, one of the things that Kim said to me one time, there was... Um, That's really the essence behind, ja uh, behind Jam. There was one um, song that we played, it was called Sunday Night, I think, or something, or Sat Sunday Morning. Uh -huh. It was like, it was an instrumental, but it was a jazz thing, you know. Like, but it was a swing that that you know, and like, and then I I also played uh, percussion on the, the break, and Kim said that was one of his one of the best songs he thought that we ever did, and I and he told me this about ten years ago when we were talking about it, and I'm going, I didn't even remember the song, and then I listened to it. I, I have the record here, and I went, wow. I did, and it was like, and, it, and it's just really swing, like jazz thing. And Kim sort of playing his Kenny Burrell kind of things. He was starting to get into like this intricate stuff, and it was really good. We're like, you like that when you're kids. He was what nineteen or twenty who was doing this. And then there's a break, and then I play the drums and I put congas and maracas and stuff afterwards. It was, um, you know, sometimes you just have to like step outside and like have a go at stuff and play different things. If it's not working. It, it doesn't go on the record. And if, you know, the producer says, we'll keep that. <laughs> it goes on the and that's what happened yeah. with, uh, you know. But you, you just stuff. did, you just did a, did a, a rocking cruise with, uh, with Leo Sayer. And I, I did a couple of shows with him. And, and one of the things that he, he told me was that his big hit, uh, you make me feel like dancing was a complete mistake. He was he was uh, he was jamming in the studio, and the engineer just happened to hit record. It was two weeks later, and they and and, and he said, you know, cut this here, cut this here, add a add a chorus here, and, and that's your hit, and that <laughs> became his huge hit. It's magic in music, you know. Yep, yep. Um, it's magic uh, in that, moments. That, that's the that's the beauty of it. That's the real joy that I get out about making music, and like, especially with this. The current band. I mean, I'm. I know how fortunate I am to play with Scott Holt. I mean, like I said, I've been. I've known him for since about 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. Playing with him is just. It's just a gas. We have so much fun. In fact, some of the songs that actually got on the record, we've forgotten we recorded. Yeah. We've forgotten. Brian found them like. Uh, we've been recording them over a three or four year period. It wasn't until the last couple of years that we knuckled down and started writing and stuff, and then. Mm -hmm. Brian would go through his collection of jams and all of a sudden he'd go, and in fact, I, I, I said, am I playing drums on that? Like there was a B.B. Uh, King song, She's Dynamite. I yeah. didn't remember recording it. It was just myself and Scott. There's a lot of women who could love all right, but nothing like the woman that I met last night. She's dynamite. She's dynamite. Brian put bass on it at the time, 
but we've forgotten about it. And then when we're going through all the stuff and we're putting the album together, it was like there was probably seven or eight songs that we didn't put on the record. We just went, uh, <laughs> I, you know, you have it's like your favorite child. I have three daughters, so they're all my favorite. <laughs> but how do you get rid of one and not the other? So uh, you pick your favorites on as far as music goes. And that's what we try to do on this record. And uh, I personally, I don't usually say things like that. I think we got it right. It covers who this band is, what yeah. up to play, what sort of music we play. Um, there's only one really fast rock and roll song on there. Um, I don't appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott describes it when we play it on stage as the most polite FU song ever written. <laughs> um, I, I wanted I wanted to cover a little bit of the of the gap between Zigzag Walk and Return of the Boogeyman, um, which which was released in 1994. It's a great powerhouse album. Um, and saw the original members unite. There you go, man. Um, We're going to release it sometime, either this year or next year. Hopefully, I'm on, on vinyl as well. Oh, great! You were pounding those skins uh, like you had a vendetta against <laughs> against the songs. And I'm thinking of songs like "Jump That Train." But man, you, you were you were out of the box on that one, bro. One of my best friends, Nick Jameson, is an absolute genius when it comes to uh, production and as a musician. I've, I've said this many times and I'll say it again. I probably learned more from working and knowing Nick Jameson as an indivi- individual mm-hmm. more than any other person I've met and played with. And he was terrific. Rod struggled a little bit on, on the record. Dave was ripping. He was ready to do this. We'd, we'd actually had a year, year and a half off from playing after we got the original band back together, which was a bit difficult, you know, from a, a working musician point of view. But um, I had some personal things I had to take care of with my uh, mother and father back in England. And it worked. And Dave sent me a bunch of songs on a cassette. So, uh, I mean, I knew where we were sort of headed. And you're right. And I think Dave actually came up with some terrific songs on, the, on that record. Yeah. Jump That Dream was... Um, that was just one take as well. We were struggling with it in the studio. Nick Jamison went out. Um, I was using 26-inch bass drums. Nick Jamison went out and detuned my bass drum. So took all the padding out. Mm-hmm. And there was a single hole in the middle. There were 26-inch bass drums. I had two. And he took all the padding out and detuned them. So they'd be like, boom, you hear it. <laughs> right? And I said, okay. But 
he didn't mic up my left bass drum. So when I started playing double bass drums, it was a button and it had this like off okay, count. Okay. But I thought it added to the magic. Nick said, why didn't you tell me you were going to play the other bass drum? I said, well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, again, that's like part of the, the, en the energy comes through on that album so strongly. It's like, it's like you're making up for the last 12 years. Yeah, prior prior to that, we've been working on the song. We hadn't like uh, we played. We we were trying to find the tempo. You know, I would start and like when you're working on new material, like there's everybody's like there's this thing going on until you like nail it. Yeah, and, and you know, I was playing to a click to start off with. Once everybody said this, and it just wasn't working. It was like it it, it wasn't that I or anybody else was like off. It just wasn't working again. Foghat was always a very organic band. It's like, and eventually there was just the four of us in the room, mm -hmm. Dave sang on, on microphone, it was just the band playing. Nick Jamison said, just go out and fucking play the song. <laughs> and, uh, that's what we did, and that was the take. spend a, a couple of minutes here um, before we go on the on the new album um, because I, I, I think there you go Sonic Mojo um, this album has like all of your previous albums has a great live feel testament to, to not only you but but the band as well you've always been you've always been a, a, a live band uh, what yeah. what can folks expect to hear on this tour, man? Actually, uh, I think I mentioned earlier we did two uh, record release parties. Yeah, it's pretty pretty brave of a band that you're playing to a sold out. Uh, yeah, it's a club. It's like the club in uh, New York, the the Iridium. I think holds 160 people. That was sold out. Uh huh. Following friday we played in la at the coach house 500 people that was sold out oh, yeah and, and we've got like nine new songs in the set yeah i mean wow, wow. you've got to be brave to do that but and so so you, you said that you said that when when hank williams uh come came to town was a song that was written by your brother how, you the words, yes. our audiences our foghead audiences reacting to that song we didn't play it oh really no. Oh, it's a great no, song. We didn't, we didn't play that, and we didn't play the Chuck Berry song. Uh, we played all the others, though. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know why. It was just like we had an hour and 15 minutes. We actually played nearly an hour and a half. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. So we had to take something out. That was one of them that didn't make the cut. But the recording of it, I'm really, really happy with. My yeah. brother wrote the lyrics, and uh, we put the music to it. And I love uh, and. Scott Holt was absolutely brilliant on that. But um, 
it was I thought it was pretty brave just to go to a place and play basically 90% of the songs you're playing that night it's all new music but yeah the show in California at the coach house was really cool because they were they were kind they said uh, you know you can play uh, at least an hour and a half you don't have to play an hour and 15 minutes so we got to jam we put uh, we hadn't played Honey Hush in years uh, we we hadn't played um, play that funky music Brian was the guitar player yeah and, yeah and Wild Cherry yeah so we played that as well that's always fun play that funky music and slow ride okay doesn't get a lot better at the end of a set <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it doesn't no it doesn't indeed singles off of Sonic Mojo. Um, Kim Simmons and Lonesome Dave co-wrote several of the songs on this album, right? No, it was just, it just Kim. Just Kim? Uh, okay. Kim, after we finished our previous album where Kim sat in on, on, on under the influence, right? Kim he wanted to write some songs. He sent me four songs. Um, we recorded three of them. It was just basically the songs he sent had a click track, just his guitar and singing. And uh, I loved them. I think, I think we did them justice. Uh, mm-hmm. She's a little bit of everything. It's probably my favorite on the on the album. I, cl- I claim that Kim wrote it about his beautiful wife. I like saying that because it always embarrasses. <laughs> <laughs> Driving on, which is a classic, like um, that's classic. Yeah, uh, about on the road trying to get home to the one you love because, well, we can't say that. Are children listening to this. Um, no, and the, the the other one we did was Time Sips Away, and I think uh-huh. got a whole put it rather succinctly. It was like Kim wrote that when he knew he was facing um, the end of his life, and it, it was uh, and it was a way, and he put it into words, and that was a tough one for us to make because we weren't sure how to play it. And I and Scott spent a lot of time with the words. And the, and like the cadence of the words, the met, uh-huh. you know, the, the what level you're actually going to sing that song at, and um, you know how you have to really emote with something like that because it, yes, it, sir. Kim wrote a personal song, and I and Scott saw it as that, and mm-hmm. uh, I did it as when I was playing it. We played it, it was just myself and Scott when we actually played the song. Rodney put his bass on afterwards. Because I wanted, we both wanted to get the feel of the song, the vocal, the vo- Kim, uh, sorry, Scott's vocal 
and drums. It was Scott's vocal, guitar, and drums. That's how we did that song. Yeah, yeah. And then we put the bass on afterwards, and Brian Bassett, of course, was re running the board, and mm -hmm. he put the guitar on after we'd finished it. But, um, yeah, I'm grateful to Kim Simmons, not only because he gave me my first That's just showing no signs of slowing down, man. Yeah, he was a brilliant blues guitar player. He said to me, well, he wanted to be remembered as a blues guitarist. Um, oh, that's nice. and, and he did. He stayed faithful to his the, the music that moved him. Yeah, and and, and he absorbed that. And uh, you said he, in another interview that he really loved music. Yeah, he was a beautiful man. Yeah. He really was. Um, uh, he was very well read, really bright, kind of introvert in some ways, but. He and I, I think, used to bring the best out of each other. We would often laugh a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I miss him. And uh, I'm grateful that he wrote those songs for us because I really think they're the uh, piece de resistance on this album. <laughs> and it means a lot to me that he, he, he yeah. though he couldn't play on it, his spirit is in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to end this piece with uh, with Driving On, which I think is... Fits fits beautifully in the lexicon of classics by Foghat. You also mentioned ZZ Top, and is that is that opening an homage to ZZ Top's Lagrange? Of course, it's that. But you see, these ZZ Top, where did they get it from? Now let's see where they got it from. Where do we think we they got it from? Yeah, I'm I'm going to draw a blank on this one to, for, for the expert over there. A lot of early uh, blues songs would have the drummer either playing on the rim or playing on the yeah 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 the bottom. So yeah. that's where that comes from. But yes, uh, ZZ Top, um, one of my favorite bands. I think Billy Gibbons is one of the greatest guitar players to ever come down the pike. And yeah. the, the music that that band has made. One of the things I love about ZZ Top is they always managed, even though some of the songs were like kind of sad and bluesy and stuff, uh -huh. humor, they would inject humor. If you listen to those lyrics, it's like, it's funny. And also, I, I remember reading an article about, they were talking about, they often have two or three sets of lyrics for a song. Uh -huh. And I mean, that just shows you how prolific that band was. And they also, they nailed... They nailed that their they nailed that band down the way they played the way they sounded. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had the pleasure of playing with them numerous times over the years. Back last year, we did some shows with uh, with them, and I got to hang out with Billy Gibbons and talk to him about stuff. He's always been kind about saying kind stuff about Foghat too, but that's because you know we love the blues and grew up with it, and yep. just yeah. we came from the other side of the pond. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, ZZ Top, one of my favorite bands, they just play great. They're a great band. They're a great band. Um, I, so I want to end with an apology here. I, I have uh, I have a very cheeky new novel coming out, as, as I said at the beginning, it, from Renegade Press. It comes out in April, um, titled The Assassination of Baby Hitler, A Love Story. <laughs> it's essentially I, I knew I knew you would get a kick out of it, especially after after the cover of Under the Influence, where you're uh, where you're 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 kicking out at a uh, at a wine at a wine cask. Um, <laughs> so, um, ZZ Top and Foghat were um, Sim Harpo fans. 
Uh-huh. That's where that comes from. Okay. Right? The snare. Slim Harpo. Uh-huh. Long um, before and long before Polkat got together. So this novel is nerd romance, time travel, rock and roll, theoretical physics uh, as a subtext. One of the threads argues free will uh, through guitar rockers um, who wield their guitars to har harness negative energy uh, necessary to keep wormholes going uh, open, which is my characters travel through uh, travel through time. Uh, there is Michael Schenker, Jimmy Page, Al Stewart, Rick Derringer, Miles Goodwin from April Wine in the sequel, which is about Greta, the love interest to to the the physicist, the time traveling physicist. I need a new rock star, a new guitarist, and I'm thinking of Lonesome Day. <laughs> Lonesome Day would have loved that. He Ooh. was, uh, and I have no idea how I even overlooked him for the first novel. When Dave got off stage, he was very quiet. Yeah, uh, he loved to read, and we would share many stories. And he would turn me onto a lot of books, actually. But um, Dave was also also into Marvel comics, all comics. Okay. Yeah, heroes. Wow. Um, now, yeah, uh, Dave was in fact a, when he got on stage. Uh huh. He lit up. Off stage, he was quiet. You know, he would have a glass of wine with us, and uh, he and I appreciated fine wines. But he wasn't anywhere near like the nut job that some of us could become at <laughs> the time, and outrageous as we could be. Dave was a lot more um, not wearing leopard skin jackets. Yeah, uh, in fact, he gave it to me one time. It wasn't real leopard skin, but he gave it to me. He said, "Do you want this coat, Roger?" I said, "Thanks, Dave." Um, you wore a while, man. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Right. Savoy Brown. We were doing a show in the south west of England. A band called Family was mm -hmm. on the show as well. Mm -hmm. And they played. Then we went on stage and we're playing. All of a sudden, the power keeps going off. And then I get the word from our road manager that there is a person off to my right up behind the stage who's turning the power on and off to let us know that we've got 15 minutes turned everything off all the amps went off and wow. that's not yeah right he did this three times <laughs> i got off my drums i went up these stairs and confronted him I confronted him and i told him that if he ever does that again i'll hang something on you and it won't be a fucking daisy chain but <laughs> with, with that dave's brother was uh his name was john was our road manager, one of our road managers. We had two. And all of a sudden, there's this, a fight breaking out. It was in Southampton, I believe, south coast of England. His brother, John, is having a, a fight with some people down the front. With that, Dave takes his guitar off, jumps like some superhero into the fray. Wow. And Dave wasn't noted as a fighter. But somebody was uh, fucking with his brother, so he was uh -huh. in there. Then I think uh, somebody called the police. I remember grabbing somebody's pickaxe handle. The guy was just waving it around. He wasn't hitting anybody, but I figured we'd better take it away. It was <laughs> uh, nobody really got hurt, uh, but that was typical Dave. He was he was a hero, and he would have been. He was a rock and roll hero, I think, for a lot of people. He was for me as well. He was every time we got on stage. 
it was nothing less than 110, 110% with Dave. He lit up. He walked on stage and it was full bar. He was uh, he was great to play with. And it was it was always you always knew it was going to be 110 percent with Dave. So there was no worries about somebody do it, you know, having a tantrum or not not being able to do this or do that. Dave lived for that sort of hour, hour and 15, hour and a half. Uh, he was great to play with. I think I think that gives me gives me a lot to uh, to characterize uh, uh, Lonesome Dave in a uh, in a novel about time travel. Okay, here's another one for you. Yes, Just sir. Maybe a bit of inspiration. Please, please. As I said, Dave had all these Marvel comics, any kind uh -huh. of comic, the Marvel mainly, and he collected them. But he didn't want to talk about it too much. It just on occasion, if I went to his house, he'd have all these comics and they were all like in folders and like covered up and uh when we were in savoy brown um he gave everybody nicknames that there was a single there was a uh, an instrumental we did it was called the incredible gnome that would be kim meets jack's man now that was dave because <laughs> his dad's name was jack and dave's middle name was jack so he would be jack's man uh and against the incredible gnome um <laughs> that was an instrumental chris jordan apparently dave suggested that chris should actually be luther Foghat. that's the first time i heard the word wow didn't think too much of being coming to luther Foghat because he was chris jordan um i was skins willy i don't know why i got that but that was my thing but um none of them ever really stuck but he was Lonesome Dave. That was his moniker, Lonesome Dave. Uh, he was, uh, he came from the Thames Delta. Uh -huh. That's right. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's brilliant. We wrote a song on Family Jewels. I, I started it off and, and Charlie had a lot to do with some of the lyrics as well. Uh -huh. uh, I wrote, I came up with the title, Thames Delta Blues. It was about Dave. That would be fantastic. Yeah, you can you can I let me know. You can let me know how I did. Uh, rock, rock and roll has been a cornerstone of my life, and, and, and as theoretical physics has been, and and art. But 
uh, that that's that's absolutely brilliant. Foghat will be performing in St. Charles at the Arcata Theater for an 8 p.m. show on Saturday, December 2nd. Foghat just released its 17th studio album, Sonic Mojo, um, which we didn't cover nearly enough. This is a great, great album. Um, a very, very strong album. Um, the website is Foghat Official at foghat.com, as well as on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and you're the only band that I can think of that has their own wine label, right? I think the Stones have one for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, no, we make, um, uh, myself and our manager, uh, she's in charge. Yeah, she's yeah. In charge of everything. I just play the drums, and, I, and I, I'm well-behaved, not relatively well-behaved. Well, well let, me, let me ask I, you this, because we, we don't want to miss any, any marketing opportunities. No. Will that will you be selling fog hat wine at the venues? No, we're not allowed to. We can't it's set, shipping wine. It's it comes under the uh, order of um, tobacco, uh, firearms, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Tobacco. I mean, that's bad for you. Firearms is okay as so long as you know what you're doing with them. Alcohol. Oh, we'd be nothing without it. Yeah. Wine. Back in the early days when this country was formed, they, uh, they they couldn't drink the water most of the time because it was too dirty. So they'd make beer. That was that was the that was the world over, brother. And of course, then of course, some brilliant Americans came up with the idea of bourbon, oh. mostly. <laughs> uh, and they used to trade liquor. That was their trade: liquor, sheep, cows. Uh, bourbon was, but ale problem. was uh, on 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 British ships for centuries. Uh, ale was ale was the staple. Well, yeah, I mean, you want to have a couple of drinks if you're out, you know, away from home for six months. Yeah, master and commander of the other side. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's it's got carbs and a little vitamin C and feel good <laughs> as you go to sleep. Roger Earl, what a, what a pleasure, man! It, this was absolutely brilliant. Um, I wish I had another ten or twelve hours to to adequately cover uh, the the just the bullet points on on your career. Um, but you know, I, I guess an hour and a half to do. And, Thank uh, you, Bill. I've had a good time. It was it was a great time. Thank you again. It's two a.m. Long way to go. And my very sincere thanks to the great Roger Earl and to all of you who listened. For more on Savoy Brown, check out my conversation with drummer Garnet Grimm. A link to foghat.com and their great new album, Sonic Mojo, are in the notes below. And you can help support this program simply by clicking the subscribe button for future notifications on all of our guests and upcoming shows. For playtime, I'm W.C. Turk. Off Sonic Mojo, this is Driving On. She'll be waiting for me to pull in. I'll be so happy to let love begin. Having a way, couldn't get home. Now I'm ready, been too long gone. I'm driving on And I gotta be strong And it won't be long I'm driving
driving on. Music used in this podcast are for illustration and promotional purposes only and are used courtesy of the artist.